Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. We know that Satan is a father of lies. We know that he is a distorter and a twister of the truth. We know that he's more than willing to take the Word of God and use it to his advantage by taking out of the context its truth and trying to make it fit something else. And all too often, we find those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ using these same tactics as the enemy, either knowingly or unknowingly. Have you ever played the game Two Truths and One Lie? Often people get really good at it, and it's hard to figure it out. They might say something that's mostly true, but not completely true. For example, instead of having one animal, they have two. Today, from Pastor David, we will hear the same is true of many teachers today. Just like the enemy, they may talk about many things that sound good. They might even have a hint of truth. However, it's the entire truth that sets us free, not just bite-sized pieces. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Surrendered Life, part two. I'm not totally against topical teaching. You need to understand that. There is a time and there is a place for topical teaching. But make sure that in that topical teaching, it remains true to the context to which it's written. The problem is, is many times, a little bit of truth is actually more dangerous than a lie. A lie, we would say, whoa, I'm, no, no. But when somebody comes in and they mix a little bit of truth in it, then we start saying, whoa. Well, maybe that is true. After all, they quoted scripture with it. I've used the illustration before. I'll use it again because you probably forgot. No, actually, because it's a good illustration. If I came to you, and and for those of you who are carnivores, you you eat meat. For those of you that are vegetarians, this is not going to touch you. So for those of you that enjoy a a good steak now and then, if I came to you with a perfectly grilled, perfectly seasoned uh, ribeye steak, and man, you're just smelling that thing, just, oh, that's absolutely wonderful. It's still sizzling on the plate as I hand it to you, and you're getting ready to dive in, and it's cooked just the way that you want it. And I tell you, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying that steak. I just want to let you know, I mixed a little arsenic in with the seasoning on that. I hope you don't mind. Now, would you still eat that steak? Absolutely not. How foolish that would be. No, if I ate that, it would would poison me. The problem is, there's so many teachers that are around today that give a lot of truth, and then they continue to put error in the midst of that truth. There's some teachers that are around today that much of what they're giving is actually mainly arsenic, and very little good food. You can look at just about every major false cult, and many of them will tell you that their teachings are based 
on the word of God as they interpret them. And of course, their interpretation comes through their own special teachers or their prophets who understand these things more completely. It's easy for us to look at, say, the the theology of the Latter-day Saints, the, the Mormons. And we realize they've twisted in many cases, they've ignored the word of God and they've added to it their own writings. And they declare that they have another testament which takes precedence over the counsel of this word. As a matter of fact, though they say they believe this word, very seldom is any of their teachings coming from this word. And very few actually know this word. I shared with you, it wasn't too long ago, a couple of young Mormon missionaries came to my house and as I was chatting with them, I asked them, well, let me ask you, have you ever read even the New Testament? One of the guys says, no, I haven't. I'm studying you know, their books. And the other guy says, well, I, I started to, but uh, I, I'm not through it all the time. So the basis of their understanding isn't on the word of God. It's on the theology of Mormonism. It's easy for us to look at the the theology of Jehovah's Witness and see where they've left the clear teachings of the Word of God and they wrote their own interpretation of the Bible uh, to fit it with and to agree with their own theology and their own false doctrines. When we, doing our study back in 1 and 2 Peter, in 2 Peter we found that Peter was warning the church, even the first century church, you know what? False teachers are going to come in and they're going to actually come up from within the household of faith, from within the church. And they're going to come and they're going to distort and twist the truth. Peter writes to the church and he says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And he's talking to the church. And they'll come and they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Do you understand that? Even at the first century church, Peter says, many are going to follow their destructive ways. And we see that still today. Many following their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth, the truth of God's word, will be blasphemed. Love it too many times. I've seen and I've heard members within the body of Christ fall into these traps. People go forth, they're proclaiming this and they're claiming that and they're they're doing all this and they're, they're testing God, literally trying to force God's hand to move at their own benefit. And these are within those that would say that they are Christian ministries, testing and trying to prove God in ways that, again, say, well, again, you said it, therefore you are bound by it. You have to do that. Beloved, you are speaking to Almighty God, and you come with that kind of an attitude. I believe that, again, this is done with very, very little understanding of the true might and the true majesty and the true glory of all that God is, and with very little humility on their own part. I feel that it's done even more so in our culture for a couple of reasons. Number one, we have a great love of self in this culture, don't we? Amen? 
How many of you know what a selfie is? Raise your hand. You know what a selfie is, okay? Now, how many of you have taken a selfie? Raise your hand, okay. Okay, all right. Can I prove my point there? Okay. We have a love for self. And it's just pushed in this culture. But the other thing that I think that, again, speaks to our culture and speaks in the attitude that we have toward the things of God is that we have no clue as to what it means to live under an absolute monarch, to live under the fullness of the powers of someone who has complete sovereign authority. We have no clue what it means to be subject to him. If you are part of that kind of a kingdom with an earthly king, would you try to command that king? I want to see the king. We'll come right in. King, I demand that you do this. What does the king say? Off with his head. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing we don't understand. Unless you have felt that you had a greater power than that king, what human sovereign would you go up to and try to put to test? How foolish that is. And when we twist and pervert the scriptures for our own advantage, we fall right into the same trap that Satan was trying to pull on Jesus. We know that Satan is a father of lies. We know that he is a distorter and a twister of the truth. We know that he's more than willing to take the word of God and use it to his advantage by taking out of the context its truth and trying to make it fit something else. And all too often, we find those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ using these same tactics as the enemy, either knowingly or unknowingly. I believe that they do it for personal gain, perhaps even for an excuse for sin in their own life. And many of these are some of the loudest voices in Christianity today. And they are drawing to themselves hundreds of thousands of followers away from the truth, away from the simplicity of the gospel into health and wealth gospel, into the prosperity gospel, into the word of faith gospel. And none of those are truly the gospel at all. Their message comes out loud and clear. You need to give in order that you might get. It's being proclaimed on pulpits all throughout, even within the city. You need to claim your miracle so that it might be manifested in your life. Your words have power. Through positive confession, you can speak things into existence. How about this latest one that we just recently heard? God wants you to be happy because when you're happy, that makes God happy. <laughs> Beloved, every one of these things, they are a potent, a poisonous mixture of new age mysticism with a little bit of scripture in it to legitimize it. And the message most often directed to the listeners encourages them to use God to meet all of their personal desires rather than submit their lives to God in order that he might work through them for the greatness of his glory. You really don't have to look very long. You don't have to look very hard in the fullness and in the context of God's word to find that what most of these teachers are teaching is diametrically opposed to the full counsel of God's plan, God's purpose, and God's word. Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 about those that were going to come and the teachings that they would bring into the church. Paul says that they would use godliness as a means of gain. 
You look at some of the big name evangelists or preachers or whatever today. Godliness, quote unquote, has become great gain for them. But Paul says, from such, withdraw yourself. But the problem is, is they speak about the fact, I've gained from this and you can too. If you had enough faith, you can have all that I have. And you see, so people, rather than withdrawing from it, they're drawn to it. Why? Because of our own selfish desires. Paul goes on to say, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. So having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. You don't find that message being taught on the circuit much today. It doesn't draw the thousands into the auditoriums. It doesn't draw the multitudes into the arenas. Paul goes on to say, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Beloved, we don't hear that taught in the mainstream. We don't hear that broadcast over the TV channels and over very many radio channels. Why? Because it doesn't draw the crowds. The crowds are drawn to, hey, you want to get wealthy? You want to gain all you can? You want your best life now? And it draws people to that. Beloved, all along with the health and wealth, along with the prosperity movement, along with the word of faith movement, there's another rising element within modern Christianity that takes and twists the scriptures, removing any resemblance of what Paul is saying that we need to pursue. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. They're removing that. When the pulpit becomes a place where raw and rank street language is declared in order order to touch the congregation or to shock the congregation or where the stories and the illustrations used within the message are questionable at best and mostly they're just downright and raunchy leaving pretty much an impression to the hearers that it doesn't really matter how you live as long as you love Jesus just love Jesus and then you can say anything you want to say do anything you want to do and it doesn't really matter. Why? Because grace just kind of covers everything. They're moving in what the ancient church called the heresy of antinomianism. Antinomianism. It's a Greek word that simply means against law. Don't come tell me how I need to live. I'm under grace. Don't tell me the right thing and the wrong thing. No, I'm under grace. I can live any way that I want to. They are freed by grace from the obligation of any moral law. It's a twisting of the scripture to meet the desires of man rather than the plan and the purpose and the direction of God in their lives. J.I. Packer wrote a, a book, Concise Theology. 
And in that, he talks about antinomianism. And he says that antinomianism treats the body, the physical body, and its actions as insignificant. That for the believer, there's no sin because all of that was taken care of by Christ. Therefore, believers of the church age aren't really obligated to the moral law. As long as we have love, our actions can shift with the situation. That's pretty scary. The danger of any kind of scripture twisting is that there's no longer a standard for truth. Our personal moral value has now become more important than the truth of God's word. That's why we saw something years ago, Nazi Germany. It was the right thing to do. It was the okay thing to do. It was even the moral thing to do for the genocide of the Jews and any that would support them. It was right and moral to them as a culture. Not to all Germans, but for the Nazis. And so their moral standard became the standard. Forget about truth. They twisted scripture even to make it so. Moral relativism, situation ethics rule the day in the world. And unfortunately, it's even moving into the church with a little bit of twisting and a little bit of squeeze of scripture here and there just to give it enough flavor that people will bite into it and buy it. And the louder the voice, the more acceptable it becomes, not only to the world, but also to the church. Satan, twisting God's truth for the supposed benefit of man, has been around since the very time of the garden. Remember, he asked Eve, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, what was it that God said in in the previous chapter, in chapter 2? We read what God said to Adam. He said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So now back in chapter 3, as Satan is tempting the woman, brings doubt into her, her response is, oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Correct. Good, Good job. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. Stop right there. But she didn't. She added to the word of God. She said, we shall not eat it, nor shall we touch it, lest we die. God didn't say anything about touching it. Eve added to God's word. Satan knew that now he had a chance. He planted doubt in her mind to begin with. Then she added to God's word from that. And so he continues to bring further doubt into the truth of God's word. He says, the servant said to the woman, you shall surely not die. Really, you won't die. For God knows That in that day that you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to become like God and you'll know good from evil. Satan brought doubt into the word of God. You shall not surely die. But then he also brought a slam against the character and the nature of Almighty God. You know, Eve, God just doesn't want you to have what will benefit you. God doesn't want you to have what will benefit you. God doesn't want you, your eyes to be opened because he knows that you'll be like him and you'll know good from evil. So see how he twists and he brings this in. For her benefit, she buys into it. Or better yet, she bites into it. 
when Satan came to Jesus there in the wilderness at the peak of his physical weakness because he had been through a 40-day fast. thing was is that Jesus was also having one of his greatest spiritual strengths at that point in time. Because for those 40 days, he had humbled himself before the Lord. He had submitted himself before the Lord. He had sacrificed himself totally for the desires of the Father. Jesus knew the word of God, but not just in a headway. He also knew the mind of God and the heart of God. And not because he was God in human flesh, but because he spent time with God. Because he spent time in that relationship, growing in relationship and knowing the word of God in a real and true personal application within his life. And he was determined not to trespass against the will or the plan of the father. He would not be moved. Jesus would have no part in the plan of Satan. Back in Luke 4 verse 12, he says, and Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Oh yeah, he came back all through the ministry of Christ, even to the very end. Verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Because Jesus chose in his life to live according to the plan and the purpose of God, rather his own way, both the Father and the Son were glorified. It's interesting, Martin Luther, the one we look at as the founder of the Reformation, in speaking to his congregation, one of his messages, in speaking of this spiritual warfare that we are, that we are all a part of, the battle that each one of us uh, have to face. He says this. He says, Christendom must have people who can beat down the adversaries and opponents and tear off the devil's equipment and armor that he might be brought into disgrace. But for this work, Powerful warriors are needed who are thoroughly familiar with the scriptures and can contradict all false interpretations and take the sword from false teachers. Each Christian, each Christian should be so armed that he himself is sure of his beliefs and of the doctrine and is so equipped with the sayings from the word of God that he can stand up against the devil and defend himself when men seek to lead him astray. Wow, that word needs to be declared today to the church today that we might stay pure to the word of God. So how about you in your life? How strong of a warrior are you in the midst of this battle? Are you being beat up continually? Is it because you don't have the armor that you need to have? Is it because you're not equipped in the way that you need to be equipped? Is it because you're not filled with the Spirit? You're not being led by the Spirit? Well, beloved, maybe today is that day that you determine, you know what, I'm tired of being on the losing end of this. I'm tired of being beaten up and falling victim of every temptation that comes my way. Father, make me a strong warrior for your kingdom's sake. Maybe today is that day that you take serious your commitment to Christ by being serious in your walk in Christ. Open up.
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.